Hello and welcome to another episode of the Christian Reef Podcast. Today's guest is an author, artist, adventurer. He was based in South Korea, now he's back in the States. His name is Ryan Estrada. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? Great. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I've been looking forward to this show for a long time. Um, you might actually be, no pressure, the most interesting guest I've ever had on the show. Because <laughs> like, okay. I, so like, I always, I always sit down and do a lot of research about my guests. And I was just going through it. And I was like, how is this possible? Like, this guy's like, Indiana Jones or some shit. There's just like, so much stuff that you've done. And I, I'm like, where do I even begin? Like, well, to- I- <laughs> I've just um I've just done a lot of things and not worried about being particularly good at any of them. That's why I've I've most of my stories are interesting just because I've failed miserably at trying so many things that it makes an interesting story. So I guess that's the key if you want to be interesting, just do a lot of really really stupid things. What do you think the stupidest thing you've ever done in your life is? Oh, that's well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Probably uh, even before the adventuring, when I was uh, in uh, middle school, probably that was the time I tried to make my own Halloween costume. Okay. And uh, I decided, see, forever my aunt had made my Halloween costume every year, and one year she didn't. And uh, and I'm like, what's what's going on? Like, why didn't my aunt make it? Or my mom's like, tries to break the news to me. Ryan, you're you're in middle school now. You're too old to go trick or treating. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. I'm doing this myself. And so I had like a few hours to prepare my own costume. And I decided that in order, like if I'm too grown up to be a uh, trick or treat now, I'm going to be like, make the scariest costume I can. And this, I decided to be an accident victim. And, uh, you know, I, and I said, make it look like I was in every accident possible. I made like fake tire tracks. I made like fake stab wounds. I had like a head wound mask. And then at the very end, I'm like, I'm almost done. It's missing something. And I decided what it needed was fire. Oh, my God. And while the other ones were done with, like, paint and ketchup, this one, I'm like, well, I mean, with fire, you got to use actual fire, right? And I decided I wanted to have a shirt that was just, like, kind of singed on the sleeves. And so, like, I got some fire. I got a cup of water. I got an, I found an old old dry shirt of my dead grandfather's in the basement that had been Jesus. like dry for like 20 years. And I, I decided I'm just going to singe the sleeve a little bit, douse it out with the water. But I decided this is the dumb part. I'm like, uh, you know, safety first trick or treating has come up. I don't want to get a cold. So I'm going to wear the shirt. And I just kind of pulled my arm out of the sleeve and just kind of took the lighter and went, and this shirt was so dry, it just went <laughs> the entire shirt in flames. Uh, and then the other really, really stupid thing is that um, I didn't know what you're supposed to do when you're on fire. So I just kind of ran in circles, flapping my arm, <laughs> literally fanning the flames. Uh, and I'm like, as I'm, as I'm doing, I'm trying to remember, like, what is the, there's a thing you're supposed to do. What is it? Uh, and then I remember, stop, drop, and roll. Yeah. So I stopped, I dropped, and I rolled one time. They never said repeat. They should really put <laughs> I rolled one time and lay on the ground like, oh, crap, that didn't work. I guess I'll just do this some more. And I ran around until eventually my mother came out, uh, saw me, ripped the shirt off of me. My entire 
body looked like fried chicken. My hair had melted into one giant hair and took me to the hospital uh, where I'm like, tick-tock, doc, it's almost trick-or-treating time. You got to wrap this up quick. And they got me on all kinds of pain medication. And then, uh, but I insisted we get home and go trick-or-treating. I made it to my neighbor's house, like 10 steps away, when I fainted on his porch and woke up the next day. And uh, that's the dumbest thing I ever did. And I'm still wearing the Halloween costume because I still look like an accident victim. Oh. Third degree burns. Damn. Oh, my gosh. Um, That's a pretty dumb thing. <laughs> sounds like fun, though. As, as, as messed up as that sounds. How, mu- yeah, well, how, how much did your hair stink? Uh, pretty bad. It was, well, like, <laughs> the thing about the hair is that, like, it had all melted together, but, like, in a tri- like the, looked like a little, like, palm frond because it was all together. And when I pulled, it just kind of melted, like, a big chunk of it just kind of came off all melty and, like, I just threw it in the trash. It was so gross. <laughs> Uh, since we're talking about um, just yeah, you nearly killing yourself, um, let's talk about near death experiences. Um, right. I've got I've got a bunch here um, from from the show notes that you sent over, and I <laughs> I just I even just reading back my notes, I can't believe this shit. Um, okay, let's start at the beginning. So you you barely survived being eaten by lions in the Masari Mara. Is that yeah yeah what? <laughs> well, I yeah. So at, after school, I started traveling, and it, I just kind of really enjoyed traveling. And I, especially, I enjoyed having new experiences and right. not knowing what to expect. And I I had had enough already near death experiences that worked out fine. That I, I realized, like, you know, I kind of enjoy when things uh, the unexpected happens because, like, if something great happens. That's great. If something horrible happens, I'm going to have a story to tell. I'm going to I'm going to be telling it on podcasts forever. I'm going to make comics about it. I'm going to write about it. I'm going to blog about it. And so um, one day my sister, who is a, uh, I always say zoologist, but she yelled at me. So I'm going to say an animal biologist. No, behavioralist. I don't know. I'm going to say zoologist again because I can never remember what it's <laughs> So she uh, was studying hyenas in the Masai Mara, which is basically like where the Lion King takes place, but the other side of the border. Hmm. And she asked if I wanted to come meet her. We were going to travel around and climb uh, Kilimanjaro together. So, um, So I said, sure. One thing, don't tell me anything. No spoilers. I said, just tell me what airport to fly to, what bus to get on, what stop to get off. That's all I want to know. And so... I get on this bus and I realize, like, oh, I don't actually know. Is this a one-hour bus ride? Is this a three-day bus ride? I don't know. And it's one of those buses where, like, it's packed full of people. Like, people got chicken. Like, they're carrying chickens on their heads that they went and picked up in the market. Oh, and, God. like, there's, like, like people in full Maasai garb. There's, like, uh, people in business suits. Like, everyone on this bus together packed in. And it was, like, almost a full day of travel. We get out of the town. She told me to get out. And it's literally, like, the size of a living room. Like, um... There's a little like lemonade stand style shack where uh, people charge their cell phones. There's like a stick people tie goats to to sell. The restaurant is uh, one of those, you know, when there's construction, there's like one of those uh, like wooden wheels. They wrap cables around. They put one of them on its side. Like you sit next to it. and That's the restaurant. They put food on it. 
the hotel was literally a cement box with a dirt floor and a bed and nothing else, no electricity. And I mean, it's a really, really cool, tiny town, but I, I had planned my travel. So I'd have like a day to walk around before my sister got back, you know, see the, see the sites. And I'm like, Oh, there's not much to see here. I saw it all as I got a bus. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go for a walk. And I did. And what I did not know, because I did not research, you know, I thought I'm just going to like see a new city. But the, the thing I should have learned was that this town was in the middle of the Maasai Mara, which is a protected wildlife reserve. And it is illegal to, uh, when you go out with it, with a professional licensed guide, it's illegal to put your hand out the window. And I went walking for about 12 hours lost. Oh my God. I'm just taking a little stroll. I had my little camera with me and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to like make a little nature documentary. And I had like, I was out there like playing dead, trying to get the buzzards to come eat me. Uh, I, I, I pretended to be a gazelle and like walked up to him was like <laughs> eating grass to see how close I could get. I was watching like the little uh, warthogs running around and singing Hakuna Matata to him. And then at one point hours in, I found this uh, dead giraffe. And there's lots of like little hyenas and foxes and birds picking at it. So I just went and sat and filmed them for a while with the camera. And like hyenas are walking up to me and like looking at me like, dude, what you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. But I mean, a hyena itself could have like chopped my leg off. Yeah. But, you know, you know, I'm just watching them. They're cute. I sat there for like an hour, just chilled out with the hyenas. And then, uh, Got up and I'm like, I, you know, it's getting late. I should get back to that little town. And I leave the hyena carcass and I walk for about two hours. And then I, no, sorry, the giraffe carcass. And I walk for about two hours and then I see the giraffe again. And I'm like, oh no. Uh, let me try this way. And I walk for another two hours and then I see the giraffe carcass again. And I'm like, I think I'm lost. Um, just kept on walking and walking eventually i saw some electrical lines and i'm like okay the electrical lines must go to the town because some people that's where people charge their cell phones so if i follow that i'll be able to find the town but which way do i follow it if one way is going to take me to town the other is going to be a three-day journey through the desert to the city and luckily i chose the right way jesus i got back to the town like well after dark, it's pitch black. I'm like, and I, I see some lights in the distance that run up there. I see the team of zoologists and my sister are all there freaking out. Like this guy is missing. What's going on? And I'm like, they're all panicking. I'm like figuring out a plan to find me. And I'm like, oh, what's up, guys? And they're like, what are you doing? Where were you? And I'm like, oh, I went for a walk. And they're like, did you cross the river? It's illegal to cross the river. I'm like, yeah, like three minutes into the trip. Like we're talking about. And they're like. And they explained to me how illegal what I had done was. And I told them the whole story. I told them about the giraffe carcass. And their faces go white. And they're like, Ryan, what time did you find that giraffe? And I told them what time. And they're like, Ryan, we track the animals. Uh, that's our job. We know where every animal is. The lions that killed that giraffe left like three minutes before you got there. Oh, my God. So if I hadn't spent three minutes on the ground pretending to be dead so a buzzard would eat me uh, and I could film it, I would have gotten there as the lions were still hungry <laughs> and uh, I would have been the giraffe. Um, 
so yeah, and the next day she took me out in the car to show me the, the lions and I saw them like rip a wildebeest apart with their with their jaws. And I'm like, oh yeah, I probably shouldn't have been walking around here. <laughs> wow. We're not even 20 minutes into this show or 10 <laughs> minutes into this show and I'm just like captivated. This, I mean, this is, this is why I, I do this show. Um, yeah. Oh my god, there's so many things that I could I could ask right now. <laughs> very um, dumb. Before before we sort of explore the rest of your many near death experiences, um because <laughs> you're funnily enough, you're not even the first guest I've had on the show who's had multiple near death experiences. <laughs> the last guy I had on the show, uh, shout out to Guy or Ching on, I asked him like I was like, Do you think you're cursed or something? And he was just like, nah. Yeah, and he had like a pretty kind of like chill response to it. It's yeah. just like, okay. Um, so I'll ask you the same question. Why do you think you've had so many near-death experiences? And how do you think you keep surviving? Well, I'll, I know exactly why. Um, like the me that uh, grew up in uh, in Michigan, in the US, like never would have, like I, I, I did have that dumb experience of, uh, of, setting myself on fire, but I never planned on traveling the world. I was very, despite setting myself on fire, I was a very cautious, nerdy, like, Hmm. you know, don't want anything to go wrong kind of guy. Um, I did as a kid, like all of our family vacations always ended up in disaster. So I had that in my blood of like, something always went wrong, but like, you know, not like I, I like, at that time, appreciate now I can appreciate those stories. But at that time, I was like, everything's always going wrong. We're always being stuck in hurricanes or floods or something's going on. But uh, I, my plan, my life plan was: I want to be an animator. I'm going to move to LA. I'm going to work for Disney and just have a very simple, do what they tell me to do life. But I graduated from animation school the year that the entire animation industry got laid off, and so I've just spent so much money on a degree that is completely useless to me and uh, there are no jobs for what I want to do. And then on a whim, like someone I was complaining to a friend and it's a messenger and she's like, have you heard about this thing in Korea where you, they, they're so desperate for English teachers that they'll fly, they'll buy you a plane ticket. They'll get you an apartment and pay you a bunch of money every month to teach kids that already know how to speak English. And I'm like, no, but I'm going to do it. And at like 4 a.m. I had a job and I moved there. And I, at that point, I'm still like, I'm moving to a new place. This is weird. Like I got to do as much research as possible. I don't want anything to go wrong. But then there was the visa trip. Um, In order to teach in Korea, you had to go to Japan to get your visa. Uh, which for some reason at that time, they would always bring you out first and you would like start teaching illegally until they like, got around to sending you for your visa. And so they sent me to Japan, but since I'd already started teaching, they didn't want me to miss a day of classes. So they sent me on a holiday and it did not occur to uh, them that the Korean consulate is closed on Korean holidays. So I ended up stranded in Japan and uh, for various reasons, including, you know, I had to miss my flight because I didn't have my visa yet. And uh, I had just, finished college and moved internationally and hadn't been paid yet. So I was broke and I had enough, exactly enough money for uh, 24 hours in Japan and it stuck there longer. And I also like was bad at the exchange rate, like had spent like 30 bucks to see men in black too. And like, that was supposed to be the money to sleep. And I 
completely ran out of money and uh, ended up sleeping on a park bench in a typhoon. Because uh, my plan was to sleep at the airport, and I found out the airport closes at 10 p.m., and we're in the middle of a typhoon. And I'm like, the security guards, you get out. And I'm like, there's a, there's a typhoon, dude. Like, trees are falling over. And he's like, I don't care. I got to go home. Get out. Wow. So, so he's, out he's pretty much just committed you to death right there. He's like, hey, listen. Much, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. not my problem. Yeah. And, like, even if I had money to, like, get a taxi or something, like, it, the airport's closed. There's nothing. And the airport's, like, in the middle of nowhere along the highway. So I'm just walking along the highway completely empty because everybody's like, there's a typhoon. We're not driving. And, like, literally, like, the trees are going like that. And I'm, like, just, I don't know what to do. And uh, and I also got the flu <laughs> through all this. So I have the flu. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm wet. Uh, like, I'm trying not to, like, blow into the freeway because the winds are so high. And eventually I come across a park and it's full of like homeless people sleeping. And I'm like, if there were a better, safer place to sleep, they would be there. Uh, so I guess I'm just going to grab a bench. So I just lay down on a bench and like, I am just miserable, sick, angry, upset. And as I'm doing this, this little black kitten comes and lays on my chest and I just started laughing hysterically. It was the funniest thing. Just uh, this, hilarious experience and i suddenly realized this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me and i'm fine like i can laugh about this and i am gonna survive and i did survive it um i just kept laughing a certain whole trip when like the next day i tried to get a i finally got my visa and the next day i tried to get on a flight and all the flights are full because of uh uh you know, they're trying to rebook like three days worth of canceled flights. And I end up stuck in Japan for over a week with no money. Uh, I found out that at that time, Japan would not let you use international ATM cards, even if I did have any money uh, in my account because I just spent it all. And uh, like, I was just, I survived all of it. And I made a comic about it. And I've been telling the story since. And I realized like, I'm a, I'm a writer. Stories are my currency. So that experience made me realize that, like, I can survive unexpected things. So if unexpected things happen, that's great. And I can tell stories. I don't seek dangerous experiences, but because I seek new experiences and I'm very stupid, <laughs> I hope, I mean, this was decades ago. I hope I've gotten a little more intelligent now, but especially I'm still pretty stupid. But at that time, I was very, very stupid. Then that led me to a lot of near-death experiences and I survive them just because I don't freak out like when it happens I'm thinking narratively I'm thinking like what's this going to be am I going to make it a comic am I going to make it a, a podcast am I going to make it a blog post and, like, and, I, and I look at like what would make uh, you know I'm seeing like the wider picture of like what's the narrative endpoint of this like what am I going to not that I'm like trying to make it a story but like that's the way my brain sees it so like Seeing the big picture instead of panicking at what's happening in the moment helps me survive it. But do you don't think you're like cursed or something, or like there's some weird cosmic force at work, like, or, do, or is it just weird luck? Like, I don't think it's a curse because I enjoy all of these experiences <laughs> and I, I love talking about them. So, like, 
it's just it's it's my own stupidity is all it is. I mean, like I said, our our family vacations always like it was a notorious that like we would as a kid, I guess there was something there because we we felt cursed because like we would go on a camping trip in the mountains and then there would be a hurricane. So it'd be like, you know what, we're gonna leave and go another place and like so we decided, you know, we're gonna go to go to Colorado instead. And, like my mother's like there'll be no water there. Cause I used to, I used to live in Colorado and there's been a drought ever since I left. And we got, we got there and there was a flood. <laughs> like she hadn't been there in 30 years. And all of a sudden there's a flood. And then everywhere we went, some natural disaster happened, but um, we survived them all. So I think that also kind of um, led me to believe like, ah, I can survive this stuff. I'm used to it. Uh, let's yeah, let's let's file through some of these. Uh, you were thrown out of a moving train by the police in India. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was. Um, so, this is a story that I, you know, I, like I said, when these happen, I'm like, I'm going to tell this story forever, make comics about it. And this is a story I told for like over a decade, and like uh, I ne it never really worked. And then all of a sudden, I'm on stage telling it, and halfway through telling the story, I realize, oh wait. I'm the bad guy of the story. <laughs> that's why it's. Uh, that's why no one ever laughs, because uh, they're like, "Does he know he's the bad guy?" And, that, and once I leaned into that, people, like all of a sudden, people get the story, and I am better telling it. So, in my defense, <laughs> I had just slept in Gandhi's house. Uh, so you slept in Gandhi's I house. Slept in Gandhi's house. So I was traveling across India. Wow. And I was just waiting for a train, and I'm walking around, and I walk in, I see this like bunch of cool little buildings, and people are chanting, and I walk up, and they're like, oh, are you here to sleep in Gandhi's house? And I'm like, am I what? And they're like, that's, is that not why you came here? Like, this is an ashram that Gandhi built. He built that house with his bare hands, and for $5, you can sleep in it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm here to sleep in Gandhi's house. I didn't know that, but screw the train I'm waiting for. <laughs> Rip up that ticket. Uh, yeah, here's $5. I'll sleep in Gandhi's house. And, like, you literally get to sleep in there. They give you food. You get to talk to people who knew Gandhi. Wow. You get to, like, do meditation and, like, uh, like read books about him, learn all this stuff. And so I did that for, for like, a couple days. And I learned about, like, his, his uh, theory of Satyagraha which is where if there's an unjust law, it's your duty to break it. And I leave thinking, you know what? I'm so inspired that uh, I hope one day I see an injustice and I can do what's right, which is already the, the key that I'm the bad guy in the story because you should not walk up being like, man, I hope I see some injustice today. Um, but then I get on my train. And when I traveled in India, I always traveled in the third class car. There's uh, first class, second class, third class. And first class is like really, really fancy, like, you know, you get your own little little bed and everything. Second class is just like you get a designated seat. And third class is like human Tetris. And the price difference is like $5. Really? But, yes. But I... Um, I loved going in third class because like in first class, you're literally like you're locked in your own room alone. Third class, you meet everyone. You become best friends. Like you share food. People are handing me their babies to hold when they go take a nap. We're laughing. Even if there's like three strangers sitting on my lap and like people lined up in the luggage racks and like someone like I'm saying someone's in my armpit because we're literally packed in. 
like human Tetris. And like, I love that experience and I love talking to people and, and all that stuff. So I'm in there, we're laughing. We're going for like an hour, two hours into the journey. It's like a two day trip, train trip. I'm on to get back home where I lived. And um, all of a sudden when the train stops, two men in uniform get on the train and say, everybody get off. We're mailmen. <laughs> um, not cops, they're mailmen. And it turns out that these two mailmen, there's a mail car where they keep all the mail, but they've decided it's too hot. And they want to go in our car. Uh, but it's illegal for, for anyone else to be on the car with the mail. Uh, they have two bags of mail, basically. Right. Like, yeah. like, tiny amount of mail. But they're like, we want to sit in another car and, you know, we're not going to kick out the, the people, the rich people that paid the extra $5. We're going to go to the poor car because nobody cares about them, basically, is what I'm thinking at that point. And they're like, and everybody's like, whatever, they all get off the train. And uh, and I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. People explain it to me. And then they tell us to pack into the second class car, which is now it's bad for everybody because the second class car, they paid for their own seat, but now they're squeezed in. And also now we're squeezed in so bad. And since I'm dumb, like I'm standing back some questions, I get shoved in last. So me and a bunch of people are literally like hanging out the doors uh, of the train moving train, I got like two fingers holding me on, dangling over like, as we're speeding over rocks and stuff. Oh my god. Like, And it, I mean, that's in India, people do that a lot. Like, people always hang out the door, but there are so many of us because we're not supposed to be in this car that literally like, I feel like I'm going to fall at any point. And they're ex the people are explaining to me what had all just been happened in Hindi, and I'm like, that doesn't sound right. That sounds like an injustice. Because of course, uh, I'm an American, so to me, an injustice is bad customer service. <laughs> so you're like, um, speak to the manager, yeah, please. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> but I'm like, you know what Gandhi would do in this situation? Oh my God, Satyagraha. <laughs> he'd go back to his seat and he'd refuse to leave. I'm doing a Satyagraha. Who's with me? And they're all like, No, no, we're not doing that. And I'm like, I'm doing one anyway. So the next time the train stops, I run back. And I said, I'm going back to my old seat. And the mailmen are by the door. They see me coming. They're like, oh, what? Why is this guy Terminator 2 running at us? And they slam the door shut and lock it. And I'm like, I'm going to the back door. And I run. And he like, I have the advantage because the train's moving toward me. But also, I'm very fat and slow. So they still make it there first, lock the door. And then I'm like, I'm jumping through the window. And I jump into the window. And I get stuck like we need to move. And they're like, you've got to get out of that window. And I'm like, I can't. I'm stuck. But also, whoa, because Satyagraha. <laughs> what? Eventually, I climb in, and I get take off my belt, and I tie myself to the seat. And I'm like, Satyagraha. And they're like, um, okay, well, we're going to call the cops. And I'm like, do it, man. <laughs> and they're like, this train will not leave until the train leaves. And they're just sitting there like, what is it? This what is this guy doing? And the next train station, like next train station, we're calling the cops. And they didn't have a phone, so that literally meant they'd be like, "Cops, cops!" <laughs> and then this cop comes and he's like, "What? What's going on?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm doing a Santiago." And they're like, "What? Just get out, dude!" And then, uh, <clears throat> and then, um, so 
I refuse to get out. The next train station, there's two cops. The next train station, there's four cops. The next train station, there's eight cops. And none of them can get me out until eventually we pull up to the next station. They stop the train. They turn off the engine. And the train station has been cleared. Oh, no. <laughs> and all of the cops of the city are lined up in a row with their, like, ready. It's a very small town, so that there's, like, eight cops. But they also have gotten all the security guards, random, like, railway workers, and they're all ready. Like, if you've seen, like, Train to Busan, like, that, that one where they're all, like, the cops, it's basically that. And as soon as the train the train stops, they all run in and start like grabbing me and trying to pull me. And I like, I got my, um, my backpack wrapped around my legs, my arms around through like the bars. I'm tied with my belt and I'm Satyana. And uh, eventually they like rip off the belt. They start dragging me to the door. I put out my arms like this, like in an X and I'm like holding under the door and they're trying to push me out. And then they're like, we almost got them out. Get the train moving. And, like, the train starts moving, and then uh, I won't move. And then the lead guy comes up, and he's like, just let us find you another seat. And I'm like, it's not about the seat. It's about the principle of the thing. Of course, I'm not helping any of the people that are affected by this. I'm literally, I'm the only one getting what I want, even though I'm not. And he's like, I'll, I'll talk to the conductor. I'll let you sit up in the engine car. And I'm like, I are you kidding? Like, I am standing up for what's right i'm not gonna go like give up just because it would be really really cool to sit up front and watch him go choo choo but it's just enough to make me just briefly think about how cool that would be <laughs> and i let go just enough that as the train is taking off i let go and they just shove me out of the moving train oh, I, no. the, I like i've dropped my bag i hit the concrete i roll they throw my backpack at me hit me in the head with it Oh shit! The train takes off, and I immediately just like get out my phone and text everyone I know, and I'm like, "I just got thrown out of a moving train by the police doing a Tatiaga. This is the best vacation ever." Dude, and then, <laughs> and then twenty years later, I'm like, "Oh wait, I was the bad guy." Dude, I swear, if if it hasn't been done already, like one day they're just gonna make a movie about your life, and it'll be the fucking craziest shit. I think anyone's ever seen. <laughs> like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> they're all so dumb, though. They're all so dumb. One time, you tried to kayak across the ocean and stranded yourself on an island from the movie The Beach in Thailand. Again, yeah. What? I did, I did that. <laughs> um, so I was volunteering in Thailand after the, the big tsunami that happened there a couple of days ago. And... Uh, like we were, I was working all day. Like we were kind of like digging up all the buildings that had felt fallen over and helping them rebuild. And one day we had a day off, and like the big touristy thing to do there was to go visit the beach where they filmed the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, The Beach. And uh, I hadn't done it yet because you know I had I had quit my job and was volunteering for months. So like again, very broke. And uh, the the taxi boat to go there was like $30. But a kayak was 10. Um, if, and I, I convinced a friend like, like let's get this $10 kayak. Of course, um, life vests were five. So that would have brought it up for two of us. That would have brought it up to 20. 
But we're like, 10, though. So we didn't get the life vests. We just got the kayak. We did not tell the person we're renting the kayak from that we were going to kayak across the ocean to another island. Oh, my God. Uh, and also, neither of us had ever kayaked before. Oh, my God. <laughs> but that's a $20 savings. So it was worth it in our minds. Dude, have so you never we... seen Castaway? Like, come on, man. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I had seen. I had seen the beach. Okay. And I'm like, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio swam it in the movie. Okay. So yeah, like, that was a movie. WWLDB. <laughs> what would Leonardo DiCaprio do? Like, kayak <laughs> should be fine. And yes, that that was very much a movie. Um, and it was not like that. Um, it was kind of like uh, a couple of hours in, we realized. Oh, it's not really that close. It's just a much bigger island. <laughs> like we get there, and like it looked, it looked really, really looked like a tiny island. It's really close, but it was actually a larger island that's really, really far and looked smaller. So we're going, and like this kayak is like in the air more often than it's touching the water because these wave, giant waves are whipping us up in the air, and oh, we'd wow. like kind of fly for a bit and then land, and the boat would go upside down. We'd capsize. We'd like also. Um, Neither of us could swim that well either. <laughs> so, like, um, like we'd have to, like, swim down, like, rescue each other and pull each other up and put the boat over. And, like, I'm, I'm like, so seasick. I'm, like, puking all over myself repeatedly. Like, eventually, like, every time I puked, like, the, um, the boat would capsize again. And eventually I realized if I just puked on myself, the next wave would come and wash me. So that, that worked out. But then we're, we're at this for hours. And then in between us, it looks like we're close again because, you know, when you see nothing but water in an island, it's hard to judge because, you know, on the size island. And then we see this giant freighter ship ha pass halfway between us and the island, and it looks small. And we're like, oh, no, we are much further than we thought. And then this freighter ship is going like that, and we're like, if that freighter ship can't handle these waves, we're going to die. But I'm still like, WWLDD, what would Leonardo DiCaprio do? He would keep going. <laughs> and we'd capsized so many times, but eventually we made it to this island, but we crashed on the wrong side of the island. The island's like shaped like a horseshoe. In the movie, they CGI'd in this little gap, so it looks like it's like in a like cup, but it's like that. And we landed in the back. And then we're like, Screw the kayak. Leave it there. I'll buy him a new one. I don't have any money. I'll figure it out. I'm not going back out in the water. And we have to figure out how to get around the island. So we're just kind of shimmying. It's like the island is like a the wall goes straight. It's like a rock wall that goes straight up. But then like at the bottom, the waves have cut like this like uh, indentation into it. And we're shimmying along this indentation. And it's like covered in these giant crabs. Like if you go to the restaurant, they got the king crabs. Like they're like bigger than them. And they're all these bright neon colors. They've like never seen humans before. So they're like crawling on this wall looking at us like, who are these dudes? And we're, so we're just shimmying. And then the tide starts coming in and it starts moving up our bodies. And we realize like we're under this rock, we're under this rock wall. And the water's coming up. If we don't shimmy faster, we're gonna be we're just gonna drown. We've left our kayak. So we're just shimmying as fast as we can. The sun is going down, it's getting dark. And then we get to the corner, we see the beach. We're almost there, but then 
there's this little like extra cave cut out where there's like a platform. It's like a looks like a Mario level where these there's two platforms and the middle is cut out and there's this like the waves come in and they do this like they like make this little circular swirl that like if you were caught in the middle, um, it would literally just slam you your head into a rock and then just keep spinning you around like you're in a washing machine hitting rocks the whole way. But I'm like, we can time it. <laughs> like it, it's oh my it's, god, like, dude. Then there's like 10 seconds in between and then it happens again. So I'm like, you just wait for that 10 seconds. And so like, we've also like, I've lost my glasses in these waves. I like, I've lost my shoes. And so I watch it. It does a thing. I jump and I make it. Um, I do land on like very sharp rocks and I don't have any shoes. It's very painful. But then I'm like to my friend, Bez, I'm like, see Bez, you can do it. It's your turn. Just time it. Okay. Ready, go. And he does the jump at the right time, but he doesn't jump far enough and he lands in the water. Yeah. But so he's he's not at the point where it's gonna slam him into the rock. He lands below, but now he's in the place where it's just gurgling him around like a washing machine. And he's like, Save me, save me, and I'm like, I'm up at the point where you hit the rock. Like I can't if I reach down, it's gonna slam me in the rock. You just gotta swim out. And he's like, Save me. I'm like, dude, you just, just go go sideways and eventually he gets out and then I jump down the other side and we're walking along the rocks. We finally make it. Uh, it is now pitch black dark. We cannot see the Island we came to see. And the last taxi boat of the day is leaving. And we're like, stop, 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 save us. And uh, he, we're like, we're so glad we caught you. And he's like, yeah, like I already have tourists that paid me. Like you can't get in my boat. And we're like, this is a, like, there's no nothing on this island. It's just nature. And we're like, we'll be stuck here all night. And he's like, yeah. And we're like, please, we'll pay, what, what do we what do I have to pay you? And he, like, tells, like, he tells us, like, I forget what it was, but it was far more than we would have spent on taxi boat to begin with. And then we're like, oh, also, can you rescue our, our kayak that we left over there? And he's like, that's going to cost you extra. And oh, so he does God. that. He, like, has to chase it down. It's floating away. Gets us back. The taxi place or the kayak rental place is closed. So we have to keep it out to the next day. We're renting this thing hourly, so we have, we keep it all night. Also, since we abandoned it and it got scratched up against rocks, it's totally destroyed. Uh, basically, in order to save twenty dollars, we spent hundreds of dollars. Almost died. Uh, horribly injured ourselves. Lost our shoes. Lost our glasses. Uh, and uh, but we survived. And we got to see the beach from the beach. For like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> About thirty fuck? seconds, I'd say. We saw like vague shapes, vague silhouettes. Yeah, you couldn't see anything as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mad. Okay. So, uh... <laughs> you once were sucked into a riptide in Costa Rica. Tell yeah. Me about that experience. So I I lived in Costa Rica for a while. Like um. When, when I first started traveling, I'm like, I can get jobs overseas and work. But eventually, I liked it so much that I'm just like, I would just like see a video of a sloth on YouTube and be like, oh, that's fun. I'll, I'll move to Costa Rica. Uh, because like, I work to the internet, I can live wherever I want. And I like couldn't afford to live in America. But in Costa Rica, like I went even the jungle and I got like my own private beach house for a hundred bucks a month, like two story, amazing beach house. 
and like probably like it's in the middle of nowhere it's so remote that like if i wanted to buy bread it was a 12-hour trip i there's a bus at 6 a.m that comes back at 6 p.m and i had to do my shopping in panama whole other country because i'm i'm in a place called Nankudo beach uh and it's like this little peninsula that just um my nearest neighbor was like a 30 minute walk but i have my private beach and everybody tells me just watch out for riptides and i'm like i definitely will and i go swimming and i get caught in riptide i'm like found one and i realized what they meant by watch for the riptides was figure out what you're supposed to do when you're in one i didn't do that i just watched out for them and i saw it and i'm like crap i don't know what to do now so I'm just sucked out, deep out, out in the ocean. Like, I can barely see my house immediately. Like, I sucked way out. And I'm just like, I guess I got to figure this out. So I just start, like, swimming against the riptide toward my house. And that's, of course, doing nothing. Um, like, even if I was a good swimmer, like, I, I couldn't go fast enough to outrun over the riptide. But I figured out that, like, like, I can't pull the water, but I can swim down to the bottom and stick my hands in the mud and pull myself forward. And so I'd like do that until I ran out of breath, pull, go up and then pull me back, but not as far as I was before. So I'm getting like a few inches towards my house each time, which is absolutely nothing. My house is a speck in the distance. And I did that for a while. And then I just, I get up and I'm like, yeah, I'm just probably going to die here. Um, and weirdly, my first thought as I realize I'm going to die is, Crap, I didn't hit save on my on the file I was working on. I was making a comment. <laughs> and I don't know, but I'm like, and, I, and immediately I'm like, wait, you're going to die anyway. Who's going to post it? And I'm like, well, eventually, like, my family's going to, my computer, and, like, they might post my last comic to Twitter, but, like, I didn't save it, and the electricity goes out all the time. So the electricity goes out, my computer's going to die, it's going to lose the file. And I'm like, <laughs> worries, dude. That's, that's where my mind is. And then I'm like, um, and then eventually, like, as I'm doing this, I just kind of move a little bit to the left. And I realize, oh, that's what you're supposed to do in a, in a uh, riptide. Um, just move the other way because they're like a straight line. So don't go against it. Just move, like, to the left or right where there's not a riptide. And then you're fine. So I just kind of, uh, by accident, got out, out of the riptide. And then, like, just had to swim, like, an hour to get back to my house. And then, like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's not that easy. You can still be in a horrible danger, but I just happened to accidentally swim into the exact place where I was safe. And uh, I, I, if I had accidentally done that, I would have just gone deep, deep out into the ocean. <laughs> Maybe got eaten by a shark. Well, I'm glad you're still alive. Thank God for that. Love you. <laughs> I think what I'm still amazed by as well, like I know, I know you mentioned earlier about sort of having this kind of narrative mindset when, whenever you were in these experiences, but like when, when it's beginning to happen, do you just kind of think to yourself like, Oh, here we go again. Yeah. Like, basically <laughs> like I, my brain has lost the ability to like panic or, or get stressed out about these situations. I'm just like, like I look at it like I'm watching a movie and be like, Oh, we're getting to an interesting part. Like that's what my brain does. And so, like, uh, the good thing is that that gives me, like, the space to um, critically look at the situation as both mm. panicking, but also I'm stupid, so that doesn't help. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. It's, it sounds <laughs> like you're pretty smart when, when push comes well, to shove. I mean, being able so, to remain calm, like, 
that I mean, I imagine that's probably the biggest thing saving your life each and every time. Because I've obviously you panic, you get emotional, you can't think, and then that could be the difference mm. between life and death. But yeah, you know what I mean, yeah, I'd like to think that now that I've been like it's it's been a while since I've had one of these horrible near death experiences. I just like I've been through enough of them that like I know how to avoid them better and how to get out of them better. But like. um but yeah, all all these stories are like in my like twenties. I think is when I got into the most of these dangerous scrapes. But luckily, I survived them all by sheer dumb luck. And then now, I think I I'd be better at it. Uh, we got one final one. So you were caught in the middle of a coca war in Peru. Um, yeah. I mean, after everything I've heard, like, I'm not really surprised. Like, how did this happen? What the, like, how are you still here? This is when my wife started traveling with me. Um, And we were traveling around South America. And we wanted to go on the Amazon River. And uh, the Amazon, to get to to where you start on the Amazon River, it's like, um, it's actually... uh, Explain. There's like one road that goes there, and it takes a long time. There's like nothing else there, and you take a bus. It takes like ten hours, something like that, and you go through the mountains until you get there. And we we had a direct bus, but halfway through, my wife was getting really, really like sick, like bus sick, uh, just really, really feeling bad. And I'm like, you know, what? why don't we get off the bus and stop for the night and get another bus in the morning? And so we stopped like halfway in this lovely little town took a nap and what we didn't realize is that while we were sleeping uh all hell broke loose because the uh there was a new president and he had announced he's going to try and cut down on the coca trade because coca is legal there there's like everywhere you go there's like coca shampoo there's uh coca snacks there's coca people just eat coca leaves as medicine and of course they export like Coca-Cola is still made with it, but they have special permission to import it. Um, it is anywhere else you, if you try to carry coca leaves, like you go to prison. Uh, coca is not a drug, but it's used to make drugs. So like, um, but it's, you know, I always say it's like hops. Like if you eat hops, you're not going to get high, but like it's used to make beer. So the, the president had said, all these people are legally making coca, but they're making more than the legal use that I know they're making more than is being legally used. And they're like selling it to cocaine manufacturers. So we're going to come up and all the, all you farmers, we're going to destroy half your crops. And the farmers said, no, we're fighting back. And uh, they had the support of the people who they sell the extra coca to. And uh, they, uh, you know, they got some weapons, they got some uh, power. And so um, the bit that we would have safely passed by on that bus, uh, but didn't, that's where it all went down. And like the the president declared martial law, he brought in tanks. The, the citizens, like they set up roadblocks, they put it like giant concrete barriers and set them on fire. And the police just went in there with like machine guns and like, uh, arrested everybody like we're shoot- there's shooting there's fires there's like they just arrested everybody they saw there um and then uh like other people are are in hiding 
and they cleared it all out. We have no idea. We're sleeping safely in our hotel. Uh, like Obama, this, what, what, this, all this had gone down. Like it had been so big that like we found out later Obama had done his press conference about it going on. We're just snoozing. We get up in the morning. We go to the bus station. We're like, yeah, we're we're gonna uh, book that second half of our trip. They're like, no buses today. Like, what do you mean? There's no buses. Like no buses going that way. I'm like, there's. It's one road. There's only one place to go. How can there be no buses going that way? But nobody will tell us. So like, oh. I'll tell you what. You can't get a bus, but maybe there's a place down the road that has a van. Maybe he'll take you. And so we go get this van, and he's like, I can only take you halfway. And then he takes us halfway, and then they're like, there's a car that can take you halfway. So like each little bit starts getting longer, but also each of these modes of transportation is the price of what was supposed to be the entire trip. And it's exponentially getting shorter and shorter because everyone's afraid to go any further until eventually we're in like a little tuk-tuk, like one of those little things that's like a lawnmower engine on wheels and for just like uh, three people. And so we're there with this uh, random woman and then all of a sudden like, and we keep asking them like, what is going on? Why will no one take us any further? And they're like, I don't want to talk about it. And then this guy in a tuk-tuk's taking us until he gets to like, he stops at a certain point and he looks really scared and he's like, I can't take you any further. And I'm like, all right, well, what's the, like, this is the smallest vehicle I've ever been. And what's the next one going to be? And he's like, there's nothing else. You have to walk. And uh, we're like, what, what is going on? He will not tell us. And we just get out and we start walking. And then, uh, I start realizing, like, I see those concrete barriers. I see the bullet holes. I see the scorch marks. I see where things have been on fire. Uh, and then like all of a sudden this like military truck, like with full of soldiers with like M16s goes flying by us. And we're like, something happened here. And then like, we're just walking nervously. And then on the other side, uh, we walked through that for a while. And on the other side, there's another little mini taxi. We ask him, can you get us there? And then, um, like he takes it. No, uh, he takes us for a bit. And then all of a sudden he stops and he uh, all of a sudden quotes us. He's like, this is dangerous. You have to pay extra. And it was like even more than the entire trip was supposed to be. And I realized I've given so many, it's supposed to be 20 bucks and I've given so many people 20 bucks. I'm now out of money. It's not like you can give a card to a dude in a lawnmower engine. I had like a last 20 bucks in my sock, but now it's like 40 And I'm like, I literally don't have the money to pay this dude. And I tell him, you didn't, you can't say that after we were in your car, sir. I'm going to give you 20 bucks. And that's all we got. And he's screaming at us. So we just run. (laughs) And he's afraid to come after us because like the, the cocaine manufacturers have been like, nobody passes through. And so like, he's afraid to come follow. And we just run and run and run. And then we eventually, Eventually, we got to the town and Googled and found out all this had happened. And I'm like, if one person had just said, hey, there's a cocoa war there and uh, and a drug cartel has said no one's allowed to pass, we would have waited a day. <laughs> like, why won't you <laughs> tell us? But we survived it. We got there. We did our trip. And uh, it was lovely. We did a little um, Amazon tour in like 
the kind like not like on a big boat literally just a, a canoe and like a local guy takes us out and that was also a near-death experience because uh like he's just showing us like um taking us out we went, he went fishing for piranha and then he uh he's like who wants to go swimming with a piranha and i i decided to go i at that time i was also doing like a youtube series where people give me challenges and um and someone had said, go, go skinny dipping in the Amazon. And I'm like, what if I go skinny dipping with piranha? So I went skinny dipping with a piranha. And they, they, they don't bite you. They just swam around. It was lovely. And then... But is, then that a later, is that a myth then? Because I've heard... I've, what? Is that a complete myth that piranhas do that? Or or is there some... Well, like, is it a different varieties that will... No, they... Like, he, like, he'll throw a bit of, of meat in the water and they'll, like, swarm it, eat it. But, like, a living human, they're not going to bother like, huh. um, you know, you're too big. Um, supposedly that's what he said and I survived it. So I guess it's fine. But also later he took us to that exact spot and started feeding the crocodiles. And I'm like, you didn't tell us there were crocodiles there. He's like, Oh, they were sleeping. I'm like, yeah, there. <laughs> like I could have kicked one in the face. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, like we, he just took us out and we, like, you know, when, when you have a, a local guide, like, you trust him and all these things, all these things we did. And then, like, you find out that he's kind of, kind of, uh, I don't know. Well, after the trip was over, he took us to his house. And uh, we learned that he taught all of his babies to smoke because his uh, witch doctor told him it's good for him. And it chases away ghosts. And we're like, this is who we trusted with our lives to swim with piranhas and crocodiles? We're sitting there. He has like a, he has like a ten-year-old, an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, two-year-old sitting there, like dragging on a cigarette. And he's like, "Yeah, my wish doctor said it's good for him. It chases away evil spirits." And we're like, "That's I don't know about that guy. I don't know about how much we trust you in their lives." Oh my god. Um... I feel like we've barely scratched the surface, but um, it's it's been it's been an hour already, and we've and yeah. we've sort of gone in every which crazy way I, I can imagine. And uh, yeah, as I said, we we barely touched the surface with you, and I'm so glad that you're gonna be on the show again, and we're gonna then just go through your crazy and wacky life. That guys, if you thought that this episode was good, just wait until you discover everything about Ryan's life. It's it's just as I said before, it might be the most interesting person I've ever interviewed. It's it's kind of mind blowing. Thank you so much for your time. I really, really sincerely appreciate it. And uh see you in the next episode. See you then. And to all my listeners of the Christian Reed podcast, thank you for listening. Be safe, be well. And then I'll see you in the next one.